I am Kirsten. Hello, I am Joshua. Hi. And this is Kyla. <laughs> and this is the weird and suspicious. That's weird. That's suspicious. <laughs> you want to email us at theweirdandsuspicious at gmail.com and send us any crazy stories or follow our Instagram at theweirdandsuspicious and our Twitter is theweirdandsus. <sighs> and then I have a question for you guys. Um, what is a dream that you have let go of? Mine is becoming a bull rider. I don't have hopes and dreams. I just vibe. <laughs> My dream that I've let go of is Kyla ever being a functioning human being. Yeah, true. Every day, I think it'll go better for her. Every day, I think she'll do better. She finds a way to fuck it up every time. I don't know why you would even think that to begin with, but okay. Um, Dreams. Kyla's dream that she let go of is getting a car. You know, Kyla also chases. I her thought dreams. I was gonna have one last year. I did actually have like a decent one, but I don't even remember. I don't know. What's like one thing you wanted to be as a kid that you're now like, nah. I <laughs> thought I was gonna be a singer. Mm. Uh huh. I thought I was gonna be a singer. Um, that is really hilarious. I wanted to be a piano player, which is, like, extra funny because my hands are way too small. Nah, you can still do it, but... It'll just be really hard. Yeah, it would just be, like, a more complicated thing to do. Yeah. And then I was like, I want to have a piano hooked up to speakers to the entire house and to make everyone listen to it. Oh my god, yes. That's (laughs) hilarious. And then another one is... Is there a feeling that you miss? And mine would be having my best friend to hang out with. Fuck you. Yeah, that is kind of a weird one. Well, obviously, I was just talking to Kirsten about. I miss my bestie as well. Missing um, me so dearly. But I think something that I actually do miss is like. Not you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Not you. It's um, not something that everyone has. I'm very grateful to have. But, like, having that, like, comfortability of just, like, being a child and being at home and just, like, not having any worries about anything. I miss, I was actually just having a conversation the other day at a bonfire. That period of time when I started working but still lived at home. And, like, all of my income was disposable income. And you could just, like, go fuck around with your friends and, like... Same, I miss that as well. Dude, me being 17 was the shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Literally, I would be working overtime. I'd be like, hell yeah, I love this shit. Like, I was still just content with life. Everything was great. Even working overtime at a fast food restaurant. I don't know any of those feelings. Honestly, working at the fast food restaurant, work. I worked at McDonald's for like a year and a half. 
It was a good time. I hate it. Honestly. So the much. work yes, kind of sucks. But like the people were chill. And same with like Wesco. Although Wesco was pretty chill all around. It just well, didn't pay. Wesco was so yeah. Even at the Wesco that I actually did work at, it was still like there was a decent amount to do there, but it just didn't pay well. Um, Carson, I think you, like, I think maybe you had, like, an experience similar to that, but I think it was more so when you had gotten the money from your accident. I don't think I was really, like, content That's or more happy so, then, like, though. disposable income. Yeah, but, like, I wasn't that happy. No. No. I think the happiest time of my life is right when the pandemic hit and we weren't working and we were getting money for not working and I didn't have that many worries and everything was <clears throat> fine and I just did therapy and I was like, yeah, life's good. Like, sucks. People are dying, but life is good for me. Right, but still, like, no worries or anything. Yeah. I'm a deep sea researcher and we just found something terrifying. Before I start this report, I must clarify that any mention of colleagues, their names, or personal information is altered for security purposes. I have a compromise with the truth, but also with the well-being and safety of my coworkers and fellow researchers. That said, this is a secret I can't bear maintaining for any longer. I've been a deep sea researcher for over 15 years. And well-recognized for my research collaborators among my peers. I work for a, this is in quotations, certain European institute for the better of my career. But it all changed three months ago. It was when me and other researchers were assigned to a new project aboard the Diana research vessel. Station close to the geographic center of the Pacific Ocean. We all knew very little about what we were getting into. But we were sure of one thing. Whatever it was, it was important. The project was a global collaboration. The European Marine Board, the International Seabed Authority, and the United, the United Nations DESA are among some of the involved. But there were many more. So it was like, and no questions were being asked, at least that I was aware of. There were three other research vessels doing pretty much the same work as ours in different territories of the Pacific. I don't want to get into the technicalities of my work, the scientific jargons, or the terminology. So I'll try to keep my explanation as simple as possible. I truly believe everyone should understand the importance of the discovery. As soon as we boarded the Diana, the details of the project were elaborated upon and we were instructed into our research. We were to investigate oceanic sound waves traveling through the SOFAR channel. I don't know if that's how you say it or if it's the so far channel, but I don't think it's I'll so figure far. it out eventually. I was yeah, well I'd be like that. And first reported by Kiribati researches mere months ago. 
I remember talking to my colleague Marco after we got our briefing, as we didn't understand the secrecy of the project. Deep sea earthquakes propagating sound waves that were caught by hydrophones were nothing new. So what was all the fuss about? Felt like our superiors knew more than they were letting us know. But soon enough, we discovered why. These sound waves came from certain oceanic trenches of the Hadal Zone, the deepest region of the ocean. <clears throat> it was a zone that most attracted the curiosity of amateurs and researchers alike, as the intense pressure made exploration difficult. Under pressure, that burns a building now. Splits a family into. I'll be your loading music. Thank you. Sunlight wasn't capable of reaching those immense depths, but even with the distinct lack light and of primary producers, life flourished even in the darkest regions of the ocean. Species of heterograph organisms were known to exist and live traversing the dark abyss. Many submersibles have been carefully constructed over the years to explore the Hadapelagic Zone. The zone. Yeah. So, they were exploring the zone, but plenty were now defunct, had been lost or gotten crushed by the intense pressure. So, the zone has always been a big unknown, and efforts of exploration were progressing with very small steps, but... Now this has changed. The sound waves that we're investigating were originally thought to be the result of profound earthquakes. But as we progressed in our research, it soon became clear that it couldn't be the cause because the sound followed a pattern. Was a demon. We studied the mentioned sound pattern for days and got to understand why it had attracted so much attention. The phenomenon was discovered shortly after it started, but now it was being reported in different regions of the Pacific. Hence the other research vessels scattered across the ocean. And all that sound was stemming from the bottom of the Hadal Zone. It repeated itself daily, almost down to the minute for over six or seven hours, and of course carefully compensating for the many kilometers the sound waves had to travel to reach our hydrophones and then seemed to cease abruptly. It's hard to describe how it sounded like initially. It felt similar to the underwater earthquakes, but for a trained ear, paying close attention, it was possible to spot the differences. Speaking in an informal tone, it's as if there was an immense drum very deep down inside the ocean being played every day. Our first hypothesis was some kind of some kind of geological anomaly, eleven thousand <laughs> meters down below. Why'd you say that? Um, I was Wait. just vibing. I'm just here listening to a story. Uh, yeah, you are. You're just here listening to a story. Anyway. 
We traded information and our discoveries with the other research vessels, but it soon got clear to all of us that it was pretty much impossible to determine what was happening and why it was spreading. Through analysis of the sound waves alone, we had to get down there and see for ourselves. The problem was, of So course, there's multiple voices, or it's just, like, getting really loud? Because they said, like, accounting for, like, distance or whatever. It's, like, so really loud. Is, okay. So there is, like, one source that they can go harass. Yeah, there is... It's just reaching the... really far and getting louder and louder. Yeah. They got a party going on down there. And clearly they were upset. It's they the weren't trolls. invited. So that's what people do whenever they aren't invited to trolls. loud parties. They need to go and crash it for absolutely no reason. Mm-hmm. Um... <clears throat> The problem was, of course, the immense depths and the extreme pressure. Many submersibles had attempted to reach the bottom of the zone and suffered the consequences of it. And according to our calculations, we had to go even deeper than the international record, approximately 11.200 meters or 36.745 feet below sea level. If we wanted to catch a glimpse of what was truly happening. And that also revealed to us something that had been previously theorized. There was a new, deepest known spot in any ocean where the sound had originated from. The mystery of that discovery certainly instigated us and we wanted to go further. Do you think that there's parts of the ocean that just like go straight to the gore? Yeah, no. Probably. The issue was discussed with our superiors, and not to my surprise, they had already considered the possibility. Our answer came in the form of Profundo, a sophisticated ROV developed by other researchers and engineers with technology that allowed it to support extreme pressures and the promise that it could dive deeper than any other known submersible. It had already been tested, but this particular mission would fully utilize its maximum capabilities. I remember well the day we put Profundo to use. Our team was reunited at the control center where we would guide its movements as it dove deep underwater, except they wanted to say delve deep underwater. I don't know if that's actually a word, but... Delve into the deep, boils. We delve deeply. Let's let's delve into that. Yeah. So we're going to delve more into this. Profundo's camera would record everything that I found, and we monitored its slow descent. It would take many hours to reach the desired spot. We had carefully planned the descent so the ROV would reach its destination in time to... Caught... The source of the noise. Delved is correct. It is? Yep. What about the shit I just made fun of? And then their um, example was, she delved into her pocket. 
She delved into her pocket. That's that sounds terrible. <laughs> All right, how about the ROV would reach its destination in time to caught the source of the noise? No, wouldn't it be catch? Yeah. Okay. You didn't want to look that one up. No, I, I just knew at the top of my head that that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I did look up an ROV though. Mm. And they kind of look like the things that they used to find the Titanic. That would make sense. That is kind of cool. I wasn't present during much of the dive. However, there wasn't that much to see. The light from the surface could still be discerned for a while, and every now and then a curious fish would pass by. But after we reached the abyssopelagic zone... There was mostly darkness. I remember staring at the transmission with my colleagues discussing hypothesis. We were all eager to find out what was truly happening so far below the sea level. The ROV was at a point in which there was no difference between water and darkness. And all that was clearly visible was the marine snow. Organic leftovers that were a source of food for many deep sea species. We were mostly focused on our research to notice anything unusual. However, we all got together to witness Profundo's breaking the world record as it delved into the oceanic trench below, more than 11,000 meters. Oh my god, okay. I looked up the the zone that they were in Mm -hmm. to get a better understanding. And then this little animal lives there. It's so cute. All right, first of all, that might be what this is about, so you can stop that. Oh, my God. It's a Dumbo octopus. All right, send in the chat, though. I totally want to know. Someone opened up a bottle of wine, and we commemorated. Even though the mission was far from done, and we didn't even know if the ROV would be able to keep resisting the intense pressure... There was this nice feeling of accomplishment. We waited for hours, and now we were closer to the origin of the sound waves than we had ever been. So the team once again reunited, not long after, as Profundo finally reached its destination. On the bottom of the abyss and the seabed, we were at the desired area, and the sand beneath Profundo stretched across a dark horizon. The ROV was resisting well against the pressure, but we knew we would get the job done and not count our luck. It started to move. We were all watching, carefully guiding its movements as we explored that unknown place. However, we couldn't find anything. It was difficult to see, but there wasn't anything visible that couldn't be the source of the noise. We were in the most profound depths of the ocean, and it seemed completely empty. So we decided to wait until the sound waves started propagating again in the next few hours. It was then that my colleague, Erica, caught sight of something. It's over there, she said. I'm sure of it. It's not far. About 18 feet that direction. Think we could reach it? We could, and the ROV slowly made its way. We wouldn't have known if we could have reached it if Kirsten didn't tell us yes. As we approached, the transmission seemed seemingly became more clear, and strange shapes and shadows transfigured by the water. We're now getting closer. And then I saw someone that I will never forget. 
Oh, God, Erica uttered. Holy shit, said Marco. And I could only stare, appalled. Couldn't take my eyes off that otherworldly vision. The ocean bottom was filled with hundreds of gigantic human statues. What? Immense figures scattered across the dark ocean floor. We couldn't even see all there was to them, but they were undoubtedly human. Knelt down, faces fixated on the sand and arms stretching upwards, almost as if they were holding something above their heads, holding the entire ocean like Atlas. The best way I can describe it is as if they were Greek sculptures, bald figures and without clothes, but a seemingly perfect human anatomy. We couldn't believe it. It was just too surreal. None of us expected that sight. There were hundreds of them as far as the ROV's, ROV's camera could see, but figures of both figures of men and women. However, there was no sense of wonder for what could have been the biggest discovery of the 21st century, only dread as we trend to rationalize what we were seeing. Looking at those things didn't feel right. It provoked a strange sense of urgency and even fear. Something that I thought it was just me, but soon noticed affected everyone in the room. It was as if we were seeing something that we shouldn't be, something forbidden. We were scientists, but there was no explanation that could justify that feeling. It was all recorded, thankfully, but after the initial feelings of surprise vanished, I couldn't bear to look at them any longer. Those immense, lifeless figures prostrated like slaves. None of us could, except for Erica. Soon we all left but her, that wanted to continue the RFE investigations by herself. For some reason, Fucking most Erica. of the- yeah, fucking Erica. <clears throat> For some reason, most of the research team felt sick after seeing these statues, and we had to take a break. We had a meeting shortly after to discuss hypothesis. Plenty of possibilities were raised, such as the statues being the remain of ancient civilization, something that could forever change our world history. But it still didn't explain how deep they were in the middle of the Pacific, how many of them there were, and how they were connected to the sound waves not only that but their size alone made that possibility unlikely working on a quick estimative someone proposed they should be at least 181 meters 593 feet in height how can ancient civilization build even one that was literally almost 600 feet not to mention those statues probably existed in the hundreds we decided to present the recording to our superiors, and they were as appalled with the discovery as we were. There was nothing logical about what we were seeing, and still, it existed. It was there, many kilometers below us. And that very moment, our discussion went on and on as we were analyzed the already recorded footage and seemingly forgot about the sound waves and the ROV transmission Erica was still monitoring. That is, until we heard her scream. We rushed in the direction of the control room. I was one of the first to get there, only to catch sight of a terrified woman sitting at the corner of the room, face buried between her legs, trembling and sobbing uncontrollably. The screen showed only static. The transmission had been cut out. 
exactly after the sound waves were marked to start and the ROV had been lost. We approached Erica carefully, but she could only tremble. Her eyes were dilated, fixated on the floor, and she was crying uncontrollably. She couldn't say anything. Erica was one of the most intelligent and focused researchers that I ever knew. So serious about her work to the point of being stoic. And whatever she saw in that transmission had left her terrified beyond words. She was taken to our medical facility, and even after she stopped crying and took some pills, she still wouldn't say a word. Only look at us with a thousand-yard stare as if her own mind was trapped deep down in the ocean, along with those terrible statues. We tried to recover the recording, but it had been corrupted or deleted. Maybe by Erica herself. Whatever she saw was lost, along with Profundo, deep in that trench. There was no way to do a recovery effort, and frankly, we didn't know how to proceed. Erica was the only one that could give us some answers, but not until she recovered. So we let her rest. But the next day, she vanished without a trace. We researched the entire shop. There was no sign of Erica. No matter where we looked, she had a husband and two daughters waiting for her back home, and now she's gone. My only fear is that she, too, has been lost to the ocean. She saw something that she shouldn't, and now it won't let her go. We don't know why the statues are down there, and we don't know their purpose or what is their relation to the terrible sound waves. We don't know why this effect is seemingly propagating itself across the ocean and how to stop it we're trying our best still contrary to my superiors i believe this must be known if this is dangerous and though we have no proof of it no primary instincts says it so then you all must be warmed and we must prepare as i close my report i must mention that all this takes me back to a quote by werner herzog that now abides by a new sense over what we've just experienced. Life in the oceans must be sheer hell, a vast, merciless hell of permanent and immediate danger. So much of a hell that during evolution, some species, including man, crawled, fled onto some small continents of solid land where the lessons of darkness continue. Maybe... They found the lost land of Atlantis. That's what I was thinking, like, right when the statues came in, was like, oh, maybe, like, they sunk down there. But also, like, why did they have to make all of the statues so creepy? Yeah, why so many? It's weird that there's so many, and also, like, how are they that huge? And, like, that why are they positioned the way that they are where it's like they're trying to lift up the ocean yeah it's just that is strange or like the noises well they still said they couldn't really pinpoint it exactly Mm -hmm. why they were making those noises what if they were just actual like evolutionary humans that were just like trapped in the ocean they're literally people down there and now but they're like, hatching they can only slowly move and that's why they're making all those noises because they're slowly mm-hmm. trying to get out it's of their what old bones situation they're in. Yeah. <laughs> it's their old bones creaking <laughs> that makes sense mm-hmm. to me 
twice in my life I've used a Ouija board. The first time I did it, it didn't seem to work at all that well. The board was a bit dodgy, and there was one person in the group who I was certain was moving the glass for theatrics. I couldn't prove it, but I had my doubts. The answers to the questions were sketchy at best. And not all of them made sense. The one thing that maybe might have proved it was real was that I remember for weeks after we did it, our cat at the time would just sit at the doorway and stare right into the direction of where we set it up. We all noted that it was kind of weird and he'd never done that before. He eventually stopped and we forgot about it and moved on. Perhaps we did not make a connection and... Our setup was just wrong, our entire, or our equipment was off, or either way, I remained largely unconvinced that we had connected to actual spirits. The second time, though, was an entirely different outcome. A few years later, and I had moved across the country to attend university, one day, me and some of my uni friends on the topic of Ouija and decided we would have a crack at it tonight. But... This time, we do it properly. One of my friends was quite esoteric sort of guy, and he did some research on his own how to properly do it. None of the others besides me had tried Ouija at the time. So we mostly were going blind in. But my friends made us a proper board set up and even used a sage smudge stick to clean the room of bad energies, as he put it. Once that was done, all four of us sat down and got into it. I will mention here that I was very skeptical, so I went in with the mindset of carefully observing the other guys to see if they were messing with the glass at all. But throughout the entire session, the movement was so fluid and precise that all my doubts quickly evaporated. I was genuinely astounded that there was a supernatural entity interacting with us throughout the entire session. But this wasn't the only reason I started believing. The conversation we had with the spirit was so clear and yet so bizarre that I'll remember it forever. One thing my esoteric friend said was paramount to the experience was courtesy. So we started off basically asking if there's any spirits available to speak to us, and we got a yes. We introduced ourselves and asked if it wouldn't mind speaking to us for a bit. Another yes. We apologized for the intrusion and made it clear to the spirit that we, or to the spirit, did not have to answer any questions. It did not want to, and we began our questioning in earnest. I won't type out our transcript, but here's the basics. The spirit we were speaking to was a soldier killed in 1984, and he was from Yemen. I think this is in Europe, because he said in uni, and we don't say that here. Sure, Also, like, there was no war here where someone could have died in the 80s on our land. Fair. Yeah, it's probably Europe. (laughs) He... Quite enjoyed the afterlife wherever he was at the time. He made it very clear to us that death was not the end and that there is nothing for us to fear in the afterlife. He said the concept of heaven and hell were untrue. He also said reincarnation is possible. I then remember asking if he was Buddhist, if it was a Buddhist style of reincarnation to which we received a yes slash no. I interpreted it as a sort of. After all, when we decided amongst ourselves to wrap things up, having already had our minds blown by what we had just experienced, we said thanks to the spirit and wished 
it the best. We also waited for the spirit to say goodbye to us. This was important because, or important part, according to my friend, as it would allow the spirit to return to its well easily. And that was it. I walked out of the be- out of the room with a strange feel of bewilderment, and yet also enormous relief. If the spirit was true and had no reason to believe I was lying to us intentionally, then death was almost something to look forward to. I considered myself a pure atheist up until this point, but this one night rattled that belief so hard that I no longer consider myself as such, and will always have the memory of my yummy friend. Yemeni? Of my yummy yummy friend. (laughs) My tasty friend. I think I think with the whole Jeffrey Dahmer thing that makes sense. Um, his yummy friend. <laughs> to prove otherwise, mm, thanks for reading. If anyone has any questions about my experience, feel free to ask away. Honestly, it is kind of nice. Like they talked to the ghost, and the ghost was like, "Oh yeah, it's chill down here. We're we're doing fine." Yeah, that would be nice. I can read one more. Sure, sure. This occurred over 20 years ago, but it was still fresh in my mind. My son was born early at 32 weeks. We were lucky and he had a few issues and we were able to bring him home with uh, a month after he was born. He came home on oxygen and caffeine due to I want to be on caffeine. What the fuck? I want to be on caffeine. After some disease. (laughs) Once we were home, strange things began to happen. The cat refused to go into his room, and before he was born, I was forever removing the cat from his room. Our dog would sit in the bottom of the stairs and tilt his head as if he was listening to something. I would be changing his diaper and start talking as I thought, His dad would come into the room only to turn around and find out I was alone. A friend gave a -a peekaboo big bird toy. That sounds creepy. That would say, peekaboo big bird toy. (laughs) Yeah. When you covered and then uncovered its eyes, the toy would go off all the time, even after I put it into the box in the closet. I I often felt I was not alone in that house. My parents had given us an angel care baby monitor as a gift. This had a pad that was placed under the mattress and would alarm would sound if it did not detect any movement after a certain amount of time. Our son was tiny, only five pounds, and he came home. The alarm would often go off. I would wake up, walk into his room, turn it off, and check on him, and he was fine. I never felt that it was anything, but the fact he was so tiny that the pad didn't pick up his breathing. Okay. During this time, I would often dream of a woman I would find in his room. I never saw her directly and would dream I saw the shadow of a woman with long hair standing and reaching to it into his crib. The dreams never scared me, but I did find them very odd but comforting at the same time. Absolutely not, lady. Yeah, I don't know who would be comforted by the idea of some strange woman with long hair like, or reaching in after oh, your child. Ooh. <laughs> I can't remember how long he had been home, but it was at least a month. Our bed was on the left to our bedroom door, and I slept on the right-hand side next to the door, and my husband slept on the left-hand side. 
I was asleep and was wakened up by being shaken roughly on the door side of the bed. Oh. Okay. But like shaken roughly by what? Oh, her husband. I woke up and looked over at my husband and said, why are you shaking me? And he realized he was completely asleep. Oh, no. Oh, no. And on the wrong side to have shaken me, that I immediately jumped me. up and ran into my son's room and flipped the light on, something I had never done at this point, and heard a gasp from the crib. Often, when babies spontaneously stop breathing, you need to startle them to begin again. I truly believe that he had stopped breathing and turning on the light startled him into breathing again after this episode the dreams and strange occurrences with the pets and toys continued until my son came off the oxygen and caffeine once that happened the odd occurrences stopped the pets stopped acting weird and the big bird toy never went off on its own again i believe that someone came home with him to keep him safe blah 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 and then i got a dream from a young woman in her mid-20s indigenous and then she'll always be grateful to her for watching over her son i was gonna see if she had any updates private poultry is her name private poultry yep is she selling illegal chickens (laughs) i don't know i don't think she ever even if it was a nice ghost i don't think i would like that no why uh i just like i feel like ghosts are never a good thing to have interact with your uh with your children you know yeah um when i was in the hospital apparently i always talked about how there was a lady in the corner of my room sitting in a chair watching me that's terrifying (laughs) Is it not? You my mom's talked like, about that while you were in the hospital. You fucking yeah. My mom was like, "Oh, it's a guardian angel," and I'm like, "Or fucking devil sending death to come get me." That's <laughs> creepy. Is it not the creepiest shit ever? Yeah, no, no that would be like horrifying. That. I would and not I like talk. telling me I said that. I couldn't talk, so I like wrote it down on paper, and it was like, "Who's the lady in the corner of my room?" That's creepy yeah and your mom's like it's a guardian angel (laughs) yeah are you excited to see them again after your neck surgery i don't remember anything so you know what if anything i'll probably just cry a lot and then text you guys of me looking crazy like i did with my teeth if you're on like a lot of drugs for a while i might send you some fun memes I will be on painkillers for a while, yeah. Perfect. I'll send you yeah. memes. He's still on drugs for a while. You, Cooper is? He's so cuddly. So cuddly. What I'm more interested in, though, is what looks like a sriracha float. Yep. Um, That's what mm. that would be. Yes. Fair. It's, interesting. Um, yes, a floaty. Mm. That looks like a sriracha bottle. But what we're paying attention to is how cute Cooper is. I had some friendly ghost stories. Mm -hmm. Now let's read some unfriendly stories. Yay! My favorite. (laughs) My favorite. Okay, so this story is... 
a skinwalker story well an unknown story but skinwalker and something else that i'll talk about later uh, yeah you like flesh. those pedestrian anyway i i'm a big fan of the skinwalker stories anyway my wife Steph and i have been together for about two years we met at college and hit it off right away Steph was orphaned when she was very young, so she'd been raised by her grandfather until she went off to school and met me. I didn't know much about her grandfather other than that he was extremely protective of her, almost verging on paranoid. He still passed away before, or sorry, still he passed away before I got the chance to meet him, so I never really gave much thought other than to comfort Steph. That was until we found out that he was the owner of something like 900 acres of forest. Steph was his only living descendant, so she was given the deed and a key ring pertaining to a house she'd never even seen before. Um, all I know was that when she told me about her new land, I knew we had to go check it out. As we drove up, I asked her if she had been to the house in the forest before, and she said... Listen, I didn't even know this land existed. I have no idea why Gramps would keep it from me. And it just was pretty clear that she was still taking the death pretty hard and was still kind of just like, I don't know what's going on. Still kind of reeling, trying to figure things out. The drive up into the mountains from our college took a couple of hours. The forest was thick with pine and oak trees growing close to the road. The further we got from civilization, the worse the roads got. Potholes, broken branches, and even grass had begun to sprout up in some places. Um, our plan was to stand the night at the house, but if that didn't pan out, we'd brought a small tent with us as well. Our GPS had us turn off on a gravel road. This road wound and twisted around turns and rocky outcroppings, and it was pretty clear that we were heading down into a valley. After about half an hour or so on this new road, we saw the house out in front of us. The house had clearly been abandoned for decades, and um, there are some pictures of the house, which I don't know if I've sent the picture of the house to you yet, Kirsten. But it is a yes. a very just abandoned, kind of dilapidated, like it looks like a house, it kind of looks like a shed. Oh, um, like a barn falling apart. Exactly. Steph was clearly disappointed. She just said, well, I guess it was too much to hope for. Hope someone would have been caring for the house all this time. She, Steph walked up to the house to check it out. And I warned her that the ground might be rotted and to be careful. Um, they started walking around the house and they took another picture of kind of the back of the house. And in this one, there's a little like cement basement. I don't know how to describe it more than that. It's just kind of like a little walkway of cement stairs going down into a basement. And then some brick, like it would have been a nice basement. house. What is it? Does it sound like a Michigan basement? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I didn't know if that was a real like a term Michigan or not, basement. though. So I, I yeah, I think it. No, I th I think it actually. I is. don't know if I think, it is, or it, maybe it's like, like a Midwestern basement or something. But I'm pretty sure that's actually a thing because they they don't make, um, yeah. they don't they don't build stuff like that in other areas. So anyway. So anyway. I came back to the house and walked in the front door. The inside was a mess, all rotten wood and dirt. 
I was honestly surprised it was still standing at all. I stuck my head back outside and my eye caught on something. There was a tree growing just to the right of the house and I saw four long, deep claw marks in it. A few months old, at least. That was when I heard Steph shriek. I ran back to the front of the house and saw her standing in front of something rotten. When I took a closer look, I saw it was a deer carcass. I told Steph that we were most definitely in bear country. Then I took a picture of the deer. The only thing was, it looked like the deer had been cut open with a bunch of razor blades. Bears don't normally do that. Um, no, they don't. They don't no, cut things usually, with razor blades. Usually bears don't don't cut things open with razor blades. They're not known to know, hmm. use tools. They have they have opposable thumbs though, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Strange. Sounds like people are lying, but they used their feet. The sun soon set after that, and we took our tent inside of the house and found a nice flat spot to set it up in. Um, I busted out my gas grill and made us a couple of hamburgers. We were sitting in our camping chairs inside of the house and feeling pretty good by the time it got completely dark. Um, Steph was looking at me pretty amazed, and I asked her why she was so surprised. So that I just, I've never been camping before. It's different than I imagined. She looked down at her phone. Less cell service, at least. It's also, this I don't, it's de definitely different than camping. Going to an abandoned house and camping inside of that. Definitely, uh. That's not, it's literally asking to get sick from yeah. black mold. It's like something's going to kill you being in that house. Being the house needs to be torn down. You're better off in the woods. It's just not camping. It's, yeah. It's like wanting to die. You it's literally, like it's squatting. squatting. That's what it is. It's squatting. <laughs> She's like, mm, this is different than I thought it would be. She's like, huh. Just camping no tent, no fire, just camping chairs. So anyway, they talked for a while. Um, he went on about how cool they, he thought the property was. Um, just random like plans for future parties with friends, bonfires, just being like, we can go camping with everyone now that people do when they're on vacation. Um, clouds had started rolling in at this time, so the only light was just from a little lantern that he, they'd brought. And pretty soon they headed inside of the tent and zipped up the door and were ready for bed. Steph had already fallen asleep when it happened. All the sounds from outside, all the crickets and birds and owls, all stopped in an instant. Laying in my sleeping bag inside the tent, the silence was deafening. That was when I heard it. A distinct clicking noise echoed out from the forest. I lay in silence, trying to guess what kind of animal might have made the sound. It was so loud that Steph actually woke up next to me and asked what it was. I told her I didn't know. Then I heard the clicking noise again, extremely close. So close, it seemed like it might be right next to the house. It was I a mysterious ticking noise. Snip, snip, 
Severus Snape. Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Okay, anyway. I slipped out of my sleeping bag, still inside of the tent, and grabbed my camera. I walked up to the tent door, zipped it down as quietly as I could. Then I stuck the camera out into the darkness and took a picture. In the flash, I saw what looked like a hand reaching through the broken window of the house. It looked almost human, but it was deathly white and had long claws extending from each finger. Through the window, I saw... Are you talking about my hands? Yeah, basically, except longer claws. And I know it's shocking, but even less well taken care of. Wow. Okay, okay. Through the window, I saw what looked like a human silhouette with two bright yellow eyes staring in towards us. I can't be sure, but it looked like there was blood around its mouth. I pulled the camera back and zipped the tent door closed. Imagine seeing this kind of shit and having to go like back into a little tent. It's like, honestly, I just don't think that like going back into a like- tent would be enough. So the only thing I could think of is, like, if it helps you blend in more. But, like, if something knows you're in a tent, they're not gonna, like... I don't think that they would just stop at, like... Yeah, that's what... If it's, like, an animal, though, do you think an animal can tell if you're out in, like... I think from an animal could possibly... I don't know, like, maybe... Honestly, it depends because, like, I feel like animals kind of a deer, but like a deer is not gonna sure. be like out to get you like that. I f- maybe like well, if it deer doesn't see you go murder in. people. Deer are very mean animals, but like they are. Every time I try to go pet one, they run away. It really hurts my feelings. Huh? Yeah, it's like like they're not like. Like, physical mean, it's more, like, emotional, like, hey, I really want to hurt your ego, and I want you to feel like more of a piece of shit than you already are. They're very And so, like, they let people kind of get a little bit close, but, like, once you get, like, too close, they run away because they want you to know that, like, you are not accepted by humanity or even animals. Very much so. Makes sense. (laughs) Anyway, after re- re- going back into the safety of the tent, um, Seth sat up and asked what was going on and like what was out there. So I moved next to her and covered her mouth with my hand. My heart was racing and I felt all the hairs on my body standing up. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. Silence. And for a long moment, I heard nothing. Then, the clicking sound echoed out from where I knew the front door of the house was. Steph stared at me, her eyes clearly confused and afraid. She put her hand on mine and tried to pull it away, but I shook my head and didn't take it off. Silence again. She's, he's going to suffocate her. Guaranteed. She dies. Silence again. I strained to hear, but nothing. For what must have been, like... For what must have been two minutes, I sat with my hand on Steph's mouth. Oh yeah, she's dead. Uh, Then I heard the clicking from just... 
<laughs> then I heard the clicking from just a few feet outside our tent door. I have no idea how it got so close without making any sound. I froze in a mo I froze for a moment, then as quickly as I could, I reached into my pants laying on the ground and pulled out my car keys. I definitely it in, in the way that this is written, it says, then as quickly as I could, I reached into my pants, and then it's a new line, and so I was thrown off for a second. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do with demons, is stare directly at where you think the demon is and rub one out, and to establish dominance. They're allergic. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I hit the unlock button twice. My car's horn beeped loudly from where we parked in the front of the house. Silence again. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, I heard the clicking from out where my car was parked in the front of the house. The clicking echoed a few more times, but each one was further and further away. After half an hour or so, the cricket started back up and the forest sounded alive again. Steph stared at me. What did you see? I told her to get dressed and be ready to run, because I'm not answering any questions today. Um, we got dressed in the tent, and I opened the door. We ran to where my car was, jumped in, and sped away. I didn't stop until we reached home. Uh, imagine that drive. Absolutely like, not. In like, in half an hour that? on that shitty dirt road in the middle Is of the what? night. No. Nope. I can't- no, I literally, like- The entire time. I don't know if I'd be able to do it. I don't think I would be able to leave until daylight. Just because it's, like, half an hour- Like, the first half an hour of that drive is on an unpaved dirt road where there was nothing. Like, it's honestly, like- like, I would, because I would rather be in my car moving than sitting in a tent. True, but, like- once the forest, Wind like, got noise back, I'd be afraid. Like, what if I happened to go in the direction it was going? Uh, yeah, I guess the car is more protection car, than... I guess. I guess. Oh. No, I get, I don't know. Like, I guess, like, I'm the type of person who feels more comfortable if I'm in my car. But... <laughs> but I don't have a car anymore. Um... Kyla is fucked. Yeah, I guess would be fucked. She'd be like, I guess I gotta walk out of here. <laughs> Gets on my pocket rocket. Gets on the pocket rocket. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. so that was that for that story. My grandfather told me a story once as we sat around a campfire in his backyard in the cool night of the Arizona desert. The horizon was clear and each star twinkled in a purple sky with a full fat moon hanging low over the mountains. His voice was raspy and gravelly, the result of a lifetime of smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. This is what we have to look forward for you, Kyla. Yep. The fire dancing The fire danced and shined across his wide dark eyes as he settled into his seat, ready to tell his story. I really wanted to do an old man voice, but I, I'm not even going to try it. Alright, so try it. <laughs> Way back when I was a boy, about your age, he began. I lived Way outside in the Apache Reservation. Way back when I was a boy. 
back in my day. Oh, God, that was so good. Way back was when great. I was a boy. Oh, my God. It sounds even better with a little glass. All right. That was yeah. on point. That was that yes. was adding character straight up. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I lived outside an Apache reservation with your great-great-grandfather. He had returned from the war and set about raising horses and cattle on on a 100-acre ranch. One night, my mother was sick, and Pa and I took a trip into town, about 50 miles away, straight through a dry desert over a washed-out creek and some old abandoned farmsteads. Pa and I were driving in an old Ford pickup truck. I remember it was dark out, inky and thick, with only the lights of our old truck lighting up the road. I remember, too, when the engine began to sputter and the truck slowly jerked to a stop. God damn it, Pa said, guiding the Ford to the side of the road as it coasted to a halt. Stay here, he said as he stepped out into the darkness, shutting the door with a heavy thud. My window was down and the cold desert air was breezy and felt good on my face and neck. Pa was getting water from the back to cool the engine, and that's when I smelled it. Rotten eggs. Rotten. Strange, I thought, to smell sulfur in the desert. My nose also picked up carrion. I don't know what carrion is. Kerosene? Like one of them dead bloated cattle that would drop from the heat and lay there until the crows packed enough holes in it to... Crows pecked enough holes in their hide to cause the whole thing to explode. Disgusting. So, like, rotten animal, basically. Long rotten animal. Carrion means is the decaying of flesh and dead animal, okay. including human. It stunk and I gagged. My skin started to tingle, too. The back of my neck felt itchy. And my face started to get hot. The wind stopped blowing and hung still and heavy, with the sink filling the cab. Pa, I called. Pa, pa. Pa, pa. Pa, pa. (laughs) (laughs) No answer. My heart started beating and I felt such a fear in me, in my bones, in my chest. I've never felt anything like this, not until Vietnam, not until I saw men dying around me. I locked the door and reached over for my pa's door and saw a shadow bound across the road through both dim beams of light across the partially opened domed hood. His grandfather paused. He spit a fat wad of tobacco spit off to his side and he looked pensively into the darkness. I realized I was holding my breath and gasped for air. The night was cool, but I was sweating and clammy. Well, what happened? What about your father? What did you see? He sighed. A creature. You have to understand, there were legends. Old legends. The Apache and Hopi and Cherokee and all of them old tribes and first peoples. They tell, they told tales, old stories about dark Indian magic. A deal made with the old spirits of blood sacrifice to gain power. Enough to fight with each other and the Spaniards. And later, the white men came for their land and the women. They called them 
they called them skinwalkers, shape changers, old warriors resurrected as skinless men. This is walking um, on deer legs with the torso of a man and the head of a coyote. Says, but messed That's up. Creepy. Honestly. But messed up. Long and malformed snouts. Teeth like that were sharp as knives. Long arms and standing seven foot t- uh, seven foot tall, even hunched over. Says, so, boy, that's what I saw. Big and fast, only for a second. It ran across the road, gray and molten. Muscles flexing under its legs, hooves clomping down on the road. Stringy muscled hunched shoulders, and it turned. Looked right into the cab, looked me right in the eyes. And I swear it grinned at me. I sank into my seat in shock, in fear shaking. I knew death was near. The air was electric. I smelled ozone and brimstone. The air felt like right before the lightning comes and blows a tree to smithereens. Nope. I yelled for my pa, but no words. No words came out. Just a dry squeak. The real power of the skinwalkers was trickery. Sure, they could change their voices, but also their skin. That's why the gods took their hide, so they could take others. Not for long, the legends say. Maybe an hour before the soul of the skin would come looking for their mortal shell before going to whatever hell awaited them. Though I think that getting skinned alive was hell enough. A minute passed in what felt like a lifetime. Then my father's door opened, and I jerked my head to the left, putting my fists up to fend off an attack. Son, it's me, my father said before climbing into the cab. He grasped the steering wheel and pulled himself in awkwardly, jerking himself into the seat. I cringed in the corner. I looked at him. I looked hard. He said, boy, your great-grandfather was a good man. Treated me and my ma like right. Um, says, and now I was taking his measure. Is this my father? Do I make a run or do I die? Is it him or not? So let's go get that medicine for your ma. As he pulled, pulled the truck into gear and pulled it out onto the road, our trip resumed. I guess it was him after all. Says, but how did you know? Was it because he said something about your mom? Says, no. I knew because out the window, out of the corner of my eye, I think I saw the beast running 50 miles an hour right next to the car, looking at me with the yellow eyes and grinning mouth. He's like, Pawpaw couldn't do that. I looked at it. Pawpaw can't run that fast. 30 miles an hour max. <laughs> 50's pushing it a bit for him. My pa kept his eyes on the road, locked straight forward, and he said, don't look at it. Don't look at it. And that's how I knew. Ew. Some more detailed uh, story of a skinwalker. Yeah, it gives you kind of really more of like one. the background and history. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Goodbye, friends. Thank you for listening. Uh, we already read the other stuff, so... Have a good day. Write in stories. This was the weird and suspicious. Goodbye. Bye.